Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to start in verse 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't, it'll be on the TV behind me. But let's read. <clears throat> it starts off and it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30 says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. To gather the wheat into my barn. This is God's word. Let's pray real quick. <coughs> Father God, Lord, I pray, God, that um, as I speak tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move. That your Holy Spirit would move upon me, upon these leaders, upon these students, God. That you would call out to them and you would speak to the depths of their heart, Jesus. That they would resonate with this word. That they would hear this word and their ears would hear it and understand it because, Lord, you willed it to do so. Lord, I pray, God for conviction of sin, for that conviction of sin to lead to repentance, God, because repentance is always met with forgiveness from you. So, Lord, we, we have to know in simpler terms, uh, when we are met with conviction, we're met with your open arms. Let us not retreat back into ourselves in shame or condemnation. Let's move forward to where you are, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Look, sometimes if you're wondering why these altars are going, it's because I have forgotten to get them from the school for like a week and a half now. So you can blame that on me, okay? Now I don't have nowhere to put my water. I know, man. Did you call me Cody? <laughs> okay. Uh, look, tonight, guys, is one of those texts, okay? I, I, it's important. Every text that we read here is important. But tonight's one of those texts that when I get to a text like this, um, I get a little on the edge. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's because it can be difficult to preach on, right? Because sometimes things are a little difficult to expound on uh, because of the great seriousness that comes along with the word, all right? And so um, I, I want to talk to you tonight, right, in a way that, to not spook you or anything like that, but instead to talk to you tonight in a way that to uh, to resonate to you the text because Look, Jesus spoke this parable. It's in the Bible, therefore it's important. But Jesus himself spoke this story to people that he was speaking to at the time. And so I want to do the best of my abilities to expound the same thing he was saying to those people to you. And sometimes that means saying some things that might strike at the heart in a different way than usual. Who knows? But I, I just ask you, like I said in that prayer a second ago, if, if conviction rises... Don't retreat back. Conviction is 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 not a, a, a judgment from God. Conviction is a, is an opening, a welcoming to His grace. All right. So if that is something that rises up in us tonight, make sure we talk about it. Look, last year, my wonderful, beautiful wife, 
played a trick on me. Can you guys imagine that? Yes. Yes, I did too. Thank you, Layla. One honest person in this room tonight. And my wonderful wife played a trick on me. Look, I'd been outside. I'd been working. Uh, I'd been exhausted. I come inside, and Darren is, like, setting some food out, right? And I'm like, look, and, and, you know, she's putting it on these serving trays. I didn't know they make so many different types of serving trays. I got married. Now we have, like, 14 different types of serving trays. Look, she was setting this food out. I was starving. I went and got a shower. I came back. And I was going to eat some. <clears throat> and she had set out some chips and salsa. And I was pumped about these chips and salsa. Anybody like chips and salsa? If you're not, you can go ahead and leave. Okay? So, chips and salsa are amazing. All right? And it's not these basic little chips either. It was those Tostito scoops. You know what I'm talking about? Like those Tostito scoops, they're just made for dipping something in them. You know, Darren says that chips are just a vehicle for the dip. And I agree with her at this point in life. So I can get a full load of that salsa, right? So we had these Tostita scoops, and I get a big, a, a big, get a big, I can't talk, get a big chip, and I eat this salsa, and it's delicious for about five seconds. And then every sense in my mouth in flames. No, I would have, thank God if she would have put salt on it. She did not put salt on it. Whatever this salsa is made with should be eliminated from this earth. And I have no idea why God even created it, right? It is crazy, this type of spice that this licked my mouth. I mean, I went straight to the refrigerator and did the unthinkable. I like grabbed the gallon of milk, threw the lid off of it, didn't even get a cup. Just like shot it back. Didn't help. I turned the water faucet on the sink and I put my head under it. I'm doing anything I can do to cool my mouth down because this chips and salsa she had given me it just lit my my mouth up. It reminded me at the same time when I was like in third grade, you know, uh, this kid um, <clears throat> was like asking me if I wanted some chocolate. And I was like, look at me. I'm a chunky person. I like chocolate. <laughs> right? So I was like, of course I want chocolate. The kid gave me the chocolate. And uh, I didn't know, but it was like the Tabasco chocolate. It had like hot peppers inside of it or something like that. It was playing a trick on me, right? He's a little funny guy. Right, and I ate the chocolate as a second or third grader. I probably cried and went to my mom's classroom where she taught and then hid for the rest of the day. It was really spicy. The point I'm trying to make, friends, is that uh, sometimes things are different than they seem. Okay, like I've had chips and salsa my entire life, like gallons of it probably, right? And so when I went to go get that chip and that salsa, I had no thought that this might be the end all of my senses in my mouth. But in fact was. When I was that kid, I didn't think that chocolate, it looked like chocolate. even smelled like chocolate. But when I ate it, it didn't taste like chocolate. Okay? And I can't help but to think of stories like this, although they're funny. I can't help but to think of stories like this when I'm looking at this parable. You see, friends, uh, this parable is speaking about something. as something appears as something on the outside, but on the inside. It's completely different. Something that appears one way, but once you get around it and you get familiar with it, you realize that it's in fact the opposite of that. That chips and salsa, I've eaten chips and salsa all my life, and I eat this chip and salsa and as though I've never had it before ever. You see, this parable is reflecting this idea that sometimes there is things that appear one way, but the reality is the outside doesn't match the inside of that person. You see, Jesus knew that the outcome for people would not be the same. That's a hard truth to swallow. 
And if that's a hard truth to swallow, this sermon might not be for you. But that's a hard truth to swallow that Jesus knew. You can see it in the story that the outcome of people would not all be the same. He said, some of these uh, these crops are going to be stored in my barn and some of these crops are going to be burnt. All right. So the outcome of the, the, the things that were planted in the garden were not all the same. There was a different outcome for each of these. And Jesus knew that he knew that there would be some people that would be considered sons of God. Yet he also knew that there would be some that would be considered sons of Satan. And this is a hard truth that Jesus is dealing with in this text. He even told the Pharisees that he knew that they were this way. He said, man, what's on the inside doesn't match what's on the outside. You look all clean and, and proper on the outside. On the inside, you're all messed up. The Pharisees, they prayed, hey, thank God I'm not a, like this man, the tax collector, right? The tax collector went home and, and, and said, Lord, forgive me for I'm not a man that's clean enough to be with you. And, and God said, Jesus said, who's the righteous one? They said the tax collector, and they said, sure, because the Pharisee on the outside looked nice and clean and, and proper. He wore the right things. He said the right things. He had the right attire on, but on the inside, he was all messed up. Jesus said he was like a whitewashed tomb, right? On the outside, it's all nice, pretty. It's been bleached. It looks nice, but on the inside, it's dead man's bones. So Jesus knows that this is a reality that some people are sons of God, and some people are sons of Satan, and sometimes those might be a little indistinguishable. <laughs> that who is who? Just like the chips and sauce, I've eaten that chips and sauce my whole life. If you would have put two bowls out there, I couldn't have told you which one was going to light my mouth on fire. I couldn't. And, and just like that, man, there are people who are living amongst us, professing the name of Christ. But you just like the Pharisees that thought they were the most godly people of all, they never even knew him. But good thing God gives us a way to test and see whether we're in the faith. Harper and I were talking this past Monday, having uh, some theological conversation. I'll try to break it down as best as possible because it was so profound and yet deals with what we're talking about. He said, and we said something along the lines of that justification and sanctification, uh, they coexist with each other. They're not mutually, uh, they're not mutually exclusive. By that we mean they don't work by themselves. All right, let's break that down a little bit. Okay. What, what he's saying and what we were saying is that, man, if you are saved, okay, if you are genuinely a saved person, then you'll be changed. Right? If you're saved, then there will be some type of transformation in your life. That sanctification is this Christ-likeness, right? Justification is the salvation of a person's soul. So if I am saved, then I will become more Christ-like. And I can't become more Christ-like unless I'm saved. They're not mutually exclusive. They coexist with each other. And friends, there are lots of people out there that want to expose themselves as Christ-like to the people that are around, but yet they have no salvation. And I really genuinely believe this is not a, a conscious decision. This is pure deception. This is what Jesus is referring to here. He says, man, they were planted by the evil one. They were planted by Satan. 
They were deceived. So let's look and see what Jesus is really talking about in this story, in this parable. The first thing I think that Jesus refers to here is about the sun. It's about the sun and the seed that he sows. So before we get into this too much, I want us to kind of define some words. You can write it down so you can look back at it. If you will go to that slide where it says the equals, equals, equals. There we go. So here are some words that are mentioned in this parable that you might want to take note of, okay? All right, so the parable refers to the fields. There was seed that was sowed in the field. Jesus goes on to say that the field is in representation of the world, all right? And then there's another thing. He says there was good seed uh, sowed. And this good seed that was sowed into the field, this good seed is in reference to Christians. Now, he said there's a sower that sows this good seed. The sower is Jesus himself, all right? Jesus himself. Now, there is another person. He said an enemy that snuck in at night and sowed bad seed. He He sowed weeds in the midst of the wheat. And the person who sowed this bad seed is the enemy. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's whoever you want to call him as. He is your enemy, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can destroy. We have an enemy, guys. I don't know if you've really uh, 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 understood that yet. We have an enemy, and his name is the devil. His name is Satan. And, and that is a concept in Christianity that we have to rely on, understand, and, and put our faith in Jesus to know that this is a truth. And the enemy seeks to destroy. Another place, he says he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Anyway. All right, now the weeds, or I'm going to refer to them as tares as well, that was sowed into the field are unsaved people. These are people, this is, this is uh, weeds that were sowed by the enemy, by the devil. These are unsaved people. Now the harvest that it refers to at the end of this text is in reference to the end of times or the end of life. Okay. Now that we've had some things defined, I'll kind of reflect back on it and call them both things. I might call the field the world and the world the field, but now we know what we're talking about here. And the first thing that we speak about in this parable, the first thing that we see is that there was good seed sown. And it says the Son of Man sowed this good seed. Jesus sowed this good seed. And I don't want to spend too much time here because I want to make sure I cover everything. But there's something here that I want us to make sure we get. God planted these seeds. Okay? God planted these seeds. And if we are genuine Christians who have genuine professions of faith, then that means God willed that to happen. I know that's a hard thing to wrap our head around. But it is. God willed that to take place. And friends, God doesn't make mistakes. And so if God willed for it to you to have a genuine profession of faith, and you're going to ask, how do I know that he willed it? He said that nobody can come to the Father unless he's what? Drawn. By whom? The Spirit. Okay? Which is God. So God willed it to take place. If you were drawn by the Spirit, then you were. it was willed by God for that to take place. Okay? It was willed by God for that to take place. And you are where you are because that is where you were planted. Like, it's not up to the seed to decide on where and when he's planted. Does that make sense? Like, if I just had a bag of, of tomato seeds in my kitchen, and I was like, well, they'll just... Plant themselves when they're ready. How foolish is that to think? Right? Instead, it is up to the person who sows, who plants those seeds, to decide when and where and what time to plant those seeds. 
you're like, what are we talking about here? Let me let me expound on that a little bit. If you're a genuine Christian, professing Christian, a genuine profession of faith, God willed that to take place at a certain time for a certain reason in a, a certain area. Okay, which is now. <laughs> God didn't plant the seed for the next year. And I think a lot of times that we, we have that happen to us. Like, like God draws us out of our sin and into his righteousness. And then we say, all right, I'm glad I made that profession of faith. I'm glad I got baptized. I'll make sure to pick back up on that after I graduate college. Deuces, right? We like to think like that. And, and like it's our decision when and where we start producing fruit. It's not. If, if, if God planted us, it's for us to grow. And it's, and it's for your season right here, right now. It's for you at Northeast Jones or you, or you at whatever school you go to right here, right now. It's not for when you become an adult. It's not for when you graduate college. It's for here. It's for now. Genuine faith produces genuine fruit. Now the question is, are we producing fruit? Do I have assurance? First John re- refers to this thing and he says, look, this is the testimony I give that God is life. He's eternal life. And those that have God have life. I tell you this so that way you have assurance in your eternity is what he's saying. First John is what he's saying. Now let me ask you, do you have life? Do you have assurance of your faith? Here's a good question to ask ourselves if we are wondering that. Do I look more like Christ now than before that profession? Have I grown any? If I have, then good. It, it, well, here's another one. Does the sin that I have been a part of, does it affect me differently now after that profession? Or am I still just willy-nilly going on about my sinful life with no conviction, no cares, and no worries? All right? These are hard questions. Serious, serious questions, friends. But they're serious questions for a reason because you need to think about these things before we move on. Okay? So if you need to sit right there for a second and think, man, am I producing fruit? Am I different than I was prior to baptism? Am I different than I was prior to this stuff? Have I grown in my Christ-likeness? Have I become more and more like who He is? These are questions we have to continuously ask ourselves. The second point that we see come across here is that the enemy, you see the, the, that Jesus sowed good seed, right? But the enemy sows weeds. The enemy sows weeds. And just as Jesus sowed Good seed, which we have defined as Christians, which the Bible defined as Christians, not just we. The enemy sowed weeds. Now, let me uh, explain real quick. There's other translations that that, that use the word tear, T-A-R-E, in reference to this word weeds, right? And, and the reason why they use the word tear is significant. I think it's a proper use of the term. You see, a tear was almost identical to wheat, right? It grew the same. It looked the same. They grew up in the same area at the same time. They even were identical. The only way to distinguish between a tear and wheat was whether one produced fruit. You see, a tear didn't produce grain, but wheat did. And if you busted open the head of the wheat, you would see there was grain on the inside. And if you busted open the head of a tear, there would be no grain on the inside. What does this mean, friends? This means that there sometimes there are people and things 
that look like one way, they act like one way, they talk like one way, but in, in, in their heart, they are not that way. In their heart, they, they don't produce fruit. They don't have grain. There, there's nothing that, that proves their significance. There's nothing that, let's, let's put it this way, there's nothing that proves their adoption in Jesus Christ. They look like it. They act like it. Right? That salsa looked like salsa. Smelled like salsa. It did not taste like salsa. There are certain things, friends, and the Bible right here is not just referencing to things. He's referencing to people. There are certain people who have the appearance of a Christian, but not the heart of one. And that is a hard truth for us to talk about, but it is a serious, serious thing. I think this is a problem that plagues the church. Is that because we said a prayer, and I don't want to get too off on this because I don't want to cause confusion. So please listen closely. Because we said a few words and repeated somebody, or because I raised my hand at the end of a sermon, that that and it alone means that I'm saved. Friends, I, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Look, if, if, if that prayer I prayed after somebody else was leading me in that prayer was not a prayer of salvation for me personally, like if I didn't believe it in my heart, then it was just some words. If that hand that I raised at the end of the sermon when, when, when I've kind of been pushed by my parents to kind of get involved in all this was not genuinely saying, look, I've had a transformation in my heart today. I've been affected by the gospel and I'm repenting of my sins and that's just a hand in the air. Friends, it has to stand for something. And I think it plagues the church today that there's tons of people that proclaim faith in Christ. But as R.C. Sproul said, they don't possess it. That's why Jesus said that there's going to be many. Friends, listen to this. This is a hard text. I understand. It's important to listen. That Jesus said there's going to be many that say, Lord, Lord. Man, they even called him the right names, guys. They knew the right lingo, and Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There's a difference in believing that someone exists and it changed in your life. There's a difference in that, friends. Has that belief changed me? Am I different now than I once was? Do I... Like, do I read the Bible and delight in it? You know, are there going to be seasons where it's harder for me to read the Bible? Of course. But am I finding it affectionate to chase after, to pursue God? Am I beginning, beginning to conform more to the image of His Son? Am I convicted now about things that I didn't care about before? Look, guys, like I said a second ago, there's many people that believe that Jesus was a real person, but that belief, that he's a, that head knowledge that he was a real person is a, is a lot different than believing in the core of who you are, that he was not only a real person, but that he died and rose again so that way he could lock away death, sin, hell, and the grave for me. There's a big difference in that. Guess who else believes that Jesus is real? The devil. He had a conversation with him out in the, out in the in the uh, wilderness, there's many many people that believe that he was. It's 
there's not many people that don't believe that Jesus was a real person. I mean, there is historical evidence that this was a real man. Even atheists believe that he was a real person. So does that mean those people are saved? There's a big difference in believing something with our head and believing something with my heart. And Romans tells us, man, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Okay? But that belief in our heart is significant, friends. Belief in our heart creates change in our life. So I want to test and examine and see whether I'm in the faith. Have I changed? Have I grown? Am I any different now? Do I love God more? Do I like coming to church more than just to hang out and have fun? But I do want to pursue Jesus. These are things that we need to be thinking about in ourselves, friends. And the last thing that we see is that there is a harvest, okay? And there's an outcome to this harvest. An outcome to this harvest. The, the Bible says at the end of the text, it says, look, he said, do you want us to come gather the weed and, and do, do away with them? He said, no, lest the gathering of the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's some good news here, friends. Uh, my barn, that is the storehouse of God. That is in representation of a glorious, majestic place that Christians will go one day when they no longer breathe the air of this earth, and that place is called heaven. But I, I think that we need to get something through our skulls. Eternity is a reality. Eternity is a reality, and the Bible teaches on this. Matthew 25 says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous eternal life. Look, friends, in the end, which is the end of our lives or the end of this world, whichever comes first, results in eternity. And we like to think that that only is a reality for Christians. That eternity is only a thing for Christians. But the Bible teaches very clearly that when you die, or this world ends, whichever comes first, there is an eternity waiting for believers and unbelievers. And friends, we I told you it's a hard thing to grasp, but we need to be clear on this. That there are tares that have been planted by the enemy, and those people will spend eternity somewhere too. We like to think that the attorney is just a place where Christians go, like I said, but it's a place for everybody. Our parable tells us that those that are not Christians planted by Christ will be gathered and burned. And then Jesus responds to that in a few verses later in verse 42, and he says this. He says, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing. Of teeth. Look, guys, I, I don't want to. I'm not talking about this to scare you. I never try to scare someone into a, a conversion. That is not at all what I want to do. What I want to do as your youth pastor is not scare you, but warn you of the realities of afterlife here on earth, friends. And that comes for a lot of people a lot earlier than they expected to. But the reality is that we will one day spend an eternity. In the grace of God in heaven, or we will one day spend an eternity apart from the grace of God in a place that we define as hell. That is the truth. And, the, and the Jesus with his own lips said that this is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound pleasant. It sounds very unpleasant. It sounds very much like a place of punishment. But those that are genuine Christians, those that have professing faith in Jesus, they don't get everything right, but they, they, they definitely pursue God. They want to know Him more. They, they, they want to relish in Him. Look, look man, I, I really genuinely believe if we would just be seekers, not perfect people, but seekers of God, man, our entire existence would be changed. But there's a genuine place where genuine Christians go. Seeds that were planted by the sower, that is, Jesus himself, and this place is heaven. This is an eternity of life. This is an eternity in God's grace. This is an eternity of being in his presence. This is an eternity in a place where there's no sadness. There's no weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no tears that fall from your face in sadness. If there's any tear that falls from your face, it's in the absolute awe of Jesus Christ that you're in the presence of. There is no uh, uh, sorrow and pain. There's no sickness in this place. And the Bible's clear on all these things. This is a place where our entire being will worship God for eternity in spirit and in truth. This is a place where no longer exists the mark of sin on any man. This is a place of perfection. This is a place of perfection because perfection resides there. That's Jesus Christ himself. Matt Chandler said this, and I want to say it again, and I want to be clear about this, so hear me out, please. Please. Heaven is not a place for people who are scared of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love God. Okay? And if we're banking our eternity off of a fear of being in hell, then friends, our eternity is banking on some things that don't hold water. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus with everything that they have. People like me and you who mess up a lot. People like me and you who, man, if it was banked on my ability to do good, I'd be, I'd, I wouldn't make it there, but thank God it was banked on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the the, the, the the atonement for my pain and my suffering and my sin, it was banked on that. It was banked on Him. Look, guys, I, I want us to make genuine decisions. But genuine decisions produce genuine fruit. Okay? And so if we make decisions in our life and profess a faith in, in Christ in our life, but we, we have not seen any fruit that is produced from that thing that I, I don't want you, I'm not saying, hey, do this, do that. I'm saying just look, examine yourself, man. It, it is my duty to tell you these truths and these realities and plead to you. But at the same time, it is your response. The Bible said, and I said it earlier, that, that God draws people and that no one can come to the Father unless they're first drawn by the Spirit. And friends, the Spirit has drawn you tonight, that has convicted you of sin, and, and, and you need to get your life right with Christ. You need to repent of sins. Then let me tell you some great news. He is sitting here with open arms, ready and willing to bring you into the family of God.
No questions asked. But true children seek a true king. What do we do when it comes tomorrow? True children seek a true king. Genuine faith produces genuine fruit. My prayer is that we'll see that in us. Let's pray. Father God, um, as our leaders are up and standing around in the front and in the sides, I, I just want to say, God, um, if there are students here tonight, that in the core of who they are, Jesus, they know they are unsaved people. They know that they, if they die tonight, and that is a scary thought to think about, but we need to think about it. If they die tonight, they would not spend an eternity in your grace. They would spend an eternity apart from your grace in a place that you've deemed as the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Lord, you're calling them. Your spirit's drawing out, calling out to their spirit to come and be found and made new and bathed in your grace. Lord, I pray, God, if there are kids here tonight that have you drawing on them, that tonight would be a night of repentance, that they would get up from their seats and they would come find a leader in here right now with the audacity of a person who says, I've got to get myself right with God, that they would stand up right now and go find a leader and talk to them. For the rest of us, For the rest of us, Lord, I pray, God, that we start to examine ourselves, our faith, and see, Lord, are we genuine in our faith? Don't let the fear of, of, of a past time that they got prayed for get in the way of genuine transformation, Lord. Lord, we love you, we exalt you. And um, it's because of who you are that we can be who you've called us to be. Lord, I, I pray for those of us who are running from you, who um, who white-knuckle the chairs instead of, of pursuing you, Jesus, that you would have grace for them and give them another chance. Just give them another chance, Lord. We love you. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. You can um, fill out your prayer card. Keep quiet, please. We're going to put on some music. Just fill out your prayer card.